0: Yeah, it was interesting. It uh, all of a sudden the sun came out like ten minutes ago. huh. I can't remember the last time I've seen sun around here. I'm sure it's uh, the weather's been the same for you guys oh, too. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's just been, uh, yeah, you just get a real lashing from the from the gray, <laughs> the gray, the grayness. It's <laughs> in the middle of May already? Come on! <laughs> but uh, it, I mean,
0: you're, you're BC born and, and raised. Is have you? No, I'm not. Oh no! I thought you're from. You were born in Prince George or something.
1: No, I was. I was born in Prince George in the sense that I went to high school there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A different kind of birth, which I'd like to uh, forget. But um, no. Uh, I was born in Nova Scotia.
0: Nova Scotia. Okay. There we go. Well, I I did all this research on Prince George. Well, I read like two minutes on the wikipedia article but nova scotia all right that's different so you're uh no way nova scotian is it, what do they call
1: well yeah nova scotian maritimer maritimer um, area yeah well the thing is my father was in the uh, was in the air force okay so we moved around so i was born in nova scotia but then uh we went to alberta like Penhold, alberta then we went to moise quebec and then we went From there to uh, Casing, Ontario. Okay. Uh, No, no, after, sorry, after Quebec, we went back to Nova Scotia, then to Ontario, then we, then dad finally uh, retired from the military in Prince George. So that's like all of that, you know, all my Huckleberry Finn years were spent in (laughs) uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Magic, Uh magic land. Yeah. I would
0: imagine traveling around like that, you get a, a sense of impermanence, you know. Where where I grew up, I grew up in Detroit and it was pretty much, we were just this middle-class family and, uh, you know, everything stayed the same and, and everyone wanted it to stay the same forever. And uh, it wasn't like that, of course. Society changed, you know, on mm-hmm. our watch, you know, you think of the late 60s and early 70s. There's just seismic shifts in in everything, really, every institution and and things like that yeah, yeah. Well, detroit
1: <laughs> it's such a great name detroit i mean just it just feels like there's something should be happening in detroit just yeah. the, <laughs> the name itself you know yeah the music's yeah. awesome right yeah, yeah yeah well isn't that where the home of uh the boss didn't he come from detroit
0: i think he's new jersey
1: new jersey okay yeah that makes more sense new, 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 yeah that yeah not detroit but kiss
0: Kiss. They were big there. Yeah. You had to, uh, you had to come to Detroit and if you couldn't make it there, you weren't going to make it, you know, wow. it was a rock and roll town, but, uh, wow. <laughs> but so then you landed in, in Prince George in your high school years. Yeah. Yeah. And your yeah. dad
1: and your mom, and you have two sisters, right? Got two sisters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in that, like my youngest sister, it's very interesting. My youngest sister, she's really more of a, Uh, I guess really family oriented Mm -hmm. and, and she is the one that was uh, moved around the least. Uh. I find that interesting. So more so than either one of my sisters, uh, I guess because my whole life we got shuffled around every between two and three years, you know? Mm -hmm. So you'd go through that, you know the, the kind of the glory of being the new kid in town and then the 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 horrible part of leaving you, you make all these beautiful friends yeah and then you leave um yeah. and they were all very small towns but when i got to uh prince george was to me was uh just i know it would be like it would be like being in vancouver and going to new york mm-hmm. it was just this massive massive it scared
0: me yeah i didn't realize how many people live there you know
1: well not that many yeah i mean compared to vancouver but compared to i've been in all these little towns mm-hmm. these little military based kind of towns and so they're all very small and and so it was funny to me when i when i made the the trip from prince george to vancouver when i saw vancouver <laughs> i remember coming over the portman bridge and it was at night and the lights i was just like oh, you know i just blew my mind isn't it yeah
0: for me for vancouver because i had you know i had lived in uh, around detroit and then i was down in miami and la and san francisco so i came up to vancouver and i go oh this is a cute little town you know Uh,
1: uh, yeah i could totally see how how you would get that
0: for a city i mean it's not too big really you know
1: no it's it's so small and when i i did some traveling um I did like 14 months of like uh, hiking, driving, camping, meditating all over the states and going to these uh, large cities. And each each one I went to was mind-blowing. And then coming back to Vancouver, same thing. I was like, oh, wow, this is a little town. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's a little city town.
1: But, you know, nice. It's got a lot going for it other than the rain. (laughs) Right.
0: <laughs> okay. So was yeah. your family particularly religious? Were you were you born and raised uh were you raised N- Christian or
1: No, uh nothing no. at all. No, like well, you know my dad played piano. Sometimes he would play piano at the church. Yeah. And I would always go when he was doing that cuz that was more I think of a celebratory church. Whenever he was playing piano at the church, it was like the fun church. Uh-huh. You know, and then they'd, they'd go downstairs afterwards and have like donuts and fun things. Right. So and that, that was a different church than the one that I would go to, but not with my parents. I think they wanted us to maybe see what it's like, but we did go to a church driven by somebody else. So this was, uh, would have been like the neighborhood nanny or something. I see. She'd so they pick us up on to, Sunday morning. Yeah. They wanted
0: you to figure it out for yourself and
1: or maybe just get you out of the house. <laughs> well, that, you know, that's probably actually more what it was. Cause they did uh they they were my parents were fun in and the, that they had lots of parties. And mm-hmm. so Sunday morning would have been the after effects of one of those. So <laughs> I, I we would put on our special sweaters and we'd get into this yellow car. I remember this is Nova Scotia and we go there and it was a big church with a really, uh, well, to me, old looking minister. And I ended up singing in the choir there. So I wear the little uh, choir gowns and buddies (laughs) making me laugh from the pews trying to keep a straight face. And I was sort of of, I was kind of involved in that church for a while. I don't think about that very much, but that was, uh, the extent of my religion, I guess. And then at some point I remember not wanting to go anymore. And I told my parents mm-hmm. I don't want to go anymore. And it's okay.
0: I, I still can't tell my mom. You know, she asked me I was this? should <laughs> you go to church? I go no, I mean, it's it's been 45 no, years. It's mom.
1: been 40- <laughs> Does she go into prayer when she hears that?
0: <laughs> a bunch of tisk, tisk, tisk. Tis- yeah. I remember your dad came one time to Kirtan at, at Three Jewels and played.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't remember what songs we played, but I don't think they were the, the usual Kirtan stuff.
1: No, no, no. We didn't. Uh, I always, uh, we had, well, Mira Shani from she was from Arizona. She would mm-hmm. come up and uh, she'd say, we should do some, she's called Kirtan. We should do some Kurtan. Kirtan. And we're like, oh yeah, we should do some Kirtan. And we're like, she'd say to me, it's not Kirtan, it's Curtain. That's how you say it, you know? And I'm like, no, no, we actually do (laughs) Kirtan. We don't think we did, but I, I, we capture the essence of it. I think we picked some good songs. Mm -hmm. Some of them were in Sanskrit, some of them weren't, but our whole approach was let's get everybody singing as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah. Singing and dancing and let's get the heart open. Let's worship. Let's yeah. let's do mantra and let's sing some songs we know as well. Mm-hmm. And we, we had some some good ones. Yeah, yeah, I think so, for sure. Yeah, yeah so it was you were, great when you, you would light it up with the solos and stuff.
0: Yeah, the one we did uh, Over the Rainbow, right? And uh, yeah, I remember I had a solo. Just uh, I would play it note for note every night the same, but I liked it so much.
1: <laughs> well, do you remember when we played for Lama Marut uh, oh, in, yeah. at the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lit it up that night. I wanna
0: praise praise you. you. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, well, he, we we lost him a couple of years ago, man. Eh? Yeah, tragic, very sad. He was he wasn't very old either. No, it
1: was very fast.
0: Very sudden, Pancre- yeah.
1: pancreatic cancer.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's like what I kind of figured. So you, were, when did you move to Vancouver? Then were you like
1: uh, right out mm-hmm. of high school? No, I uh, out of high school. I danced around town for a while. Worked in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get out of Prince George till 1986. Oh, okay. Which actually isn't that long if you think about. I graduated in 1984, so then 1986 we went down for Expo, big Expo, and then uh, we moved there that year. Oh, we, the whole family like, moved here. Yeah. No, no, me and a couple buddies.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah,
1: we, we put stuff in a van and drove down here to make m- make our fortunes.
0: <laughs> and the air force uh, didn't appeal at all or
1: no there was um there was a period of time i think i was around 16 when i was entertaining it because mm-hmm. dad was talking about you know you can get a career right you can get a career and get a trade but i just wanted to play my guitar at that point and um i probably wasn't suited for it mm-hmm. i was in army cadets for a while and i refused to cut my hair yeah. And I just, but I liked all the, I liked the fun stuff they did, but I wasn't so much into the discipline, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I could never. And- I didn't have, I don't have no discipline. You know, that was pretty wild, back in those years as well. But yeah, I think there's a sense of community that really draws people in. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, sort of their own little version of a sangha. And uh, yeah, I so can
1: see the appeal. Yeah,
0: were you doing yoga before Like, uh, when when was sort of your first? sort of experience of uh wanting a a spiritual life or did something anything
1: change was it a gradual thing or how did Uh, that well it was it was gradual and until it wasn't (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. I always had a a feeling inside of me that I just I felt like something wasn't adding up Mm -hmm. and I was seeing a lot of people unhappy and I knew even in that I was unhappy. I knew that I was unhappy, but I also had this other feeling that, uh, things were also fine in a way that I could not put my finger on. I just Mm -hmm. had this, this restful state, um, which was always there until, uh, actually much later when I really did start to uh, do spiritual practice and meditation, when things got really bad. I think Mm -hmm. I I really pulled up a lot of turmoil and had to go through that, but- I see. It was, I started reading books and getting excited about another way of being. And, you know, looking back, I think, well, I don't think I know, I was one of those people That probably drove everybody crazy around them. I'd I'd get a book like (laughs) The Power of Now or uh, the Celestine Prophecy or something like that, and I Mm. would latch onto that book and then decide that oh yeah this book is the way, and then start telling everybody else that it was the way. And yeah, then that wouldn't work, and then I'd the next book would come like uh, (laughs) and then I would just you know get into that, and that went for quite a while and i can look back and see that i was searching for something and Mm. i each time i thought i had found something and it was um i don't think i it really exploded in my life until i ran into uh buddhism but before that uh, yoga before that yoga and uh meditation Mm -hmm. happened and it so it all led to this one teaching I went to that really changed everything, but uh, I I definitely was using it. Go ahead. Sorry. What
0: what was that one teaching or the teacher what was it?
1: Well, what happened was uh, I was in my yoga teacher training and Mm -hmm. there was a girl in that class who uh, we just had a a thing with each other where we meet each other giggle all the time Mm -hmm. for no reason. And then she said to me, uh, you know, I think that you need to come to this, uh, this workshop. And it was a Tibetan heart yoga workshop. Mm. Um, and I didn't, I really didn't want to go because I just, it was nearing the end of six months of training as a yoga teacher. Uh, and I was already overwhelmed doing that. I was scared out of my mind going to those classes. Was that and, through ACI? Uh, the No, well, the, the teacher, the yoga? Yeah. No, my yoga teacher training was through open door yoga in Vancouver. Oh, okay. So you have a long history
0: with open door. Uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, so this girl dragged me to this teaching. I, Mm -hmm. I really resisted. I tried every excuse. I tried, I I don't want to, (laughs) I tried, I don't have the time. I tried, I'm burnt out on homework. I tried money. I tried everything, but she literally dragged me to the, she's had this feeling, I guess, and it was this uh, really beautiful being, Mirashani. She came, and she was touching the the Yoga Sutra, which I didn't know anything about really. Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed with Tibetan Heart Yoga, which is uh, this practice of you start to realize or start to work with your winds in in a specific way while you're doing yoga. Which was all very very foreign to me. It was all very foreign to me.
0: Yeah, right, right.
1: But what happened was, I sat down and and. I started hearing her talk, and it was the idea of emptiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she gave this teaching on when she used a pen to describe uh, the Buddhist idea of emptiness. And I sat there and listened, and I stared at her, and something happened inside of me. And I stared at her, I listened to her talk, I looked at that pen, and then I just got that if that pen, if that object, wasn't empty then it, nothing could change like it just hit me like a truck wow like it just like a truck and i just almost fell over and i uh i got super excited and uh i started realizing that i, I felt like i'd found something for the first time that wasn't out of a book that was really close to something true mhm that I certainly couldn't intellectually you know uh, nail down it was a it was a intellectual process to a feeling that was so wide open I never felt like that before amazing. and what I yeah and what I, I remember is after the cla- that class is over I remember going outside on the street and uh, you know uh, in those years I was quite I think self conscious and uh, probably a lot, probably worried about my ego a lot. Hmm. I I stood there in the street and I felt like I was in my living room. I felt like I could have been in my house coat and I was just watching everything going, wow, this something's happened. I don't know what it is. And it was that moment that uh, led me into more of the Tibetan yoga, which led me more into the ACI stuff, which led me more into then, then, then led me to Lama Marut, which was the real game changer for me Mm. after that. And, uh, I think the big thing for me was I, I realized in that setting, from that perspective of teaching, I realized that all of my spiritual endeavors up to that moment had been about trying to escape. Interesting. Yeah. It had been about trying to go somewhere where my mental afflictions weren't. <laughs> and, and, and that I had this idea that I could pull it off and, yeah. and go somewhere and stay there and never have to come back to my mental afflictions. And I, I realized that day that I had been mistaken all those years and that there really was nowhere to go. It what, was, so
0: what year was this? Um,
1: this was a, 2006. Okay, so not that long ago, really. Not that long ago, not not really. Not when you, 2006, yeah.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the story. Um, maybe you know, the Buddha was giving a teaching or something. He held up a flower, right? and I don't think he said anything, and it like lit some guy up. Uh, up to I, f- I forget the guy's name, but I think you know, you remember that story.
1: It's yeah, like didn't uh, one 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 dude smiled?
0: Yeah. And he like, just was instantly, I think he instantly became an Arhat or something they said. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, similar kind of experience. He didn't, he didn't like right away achieve Buddhahood, but from that moment on, he knew something instinctively to just keep going in this way, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely like that for sure. It was Mm. changed the whole course of my life for sure.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, you know, one of the first things that we sort of uh, talk about in Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism is, is refuge, you know? And so before that, you know, you're sort of taking refuge in, in your life, hoping Mm -hmm. that things will work out. Like you said, you were trying to uh, escape your mental afflictions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting to look back and see very clearly all the ways that I was trying to escape. And, and, uh, I don't think that I knew that I was trying to escape at the time, but but certainly taking refuge in everything that wasn't helping that, that would yeah. help me at all. Which you know, busyness, jobs, food, relationships, you know, and this imaginary idea that you know, oh, if I could just line this up and. This elusive thing at some point, I'll reach this place at some point. It's all going to be perfect at some point, and just somehow managing to live day after day like that.
0: I I still have that. I mean, you know, for me, the idea of refuge when I think about, you know, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is like, yeah, that's the driving foundation under me. You know what I mean? But there's still a part of me that's like, okay, well, once I finish my novel and that'll open up all these other things and you know and meanwhile time's just going tick 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 tick
1: yeah tick, you know oh does it ever yeah
0: yeah I think that's sort of you know where impermanence comes in when you kind of see that everything really is changing. When you really get that then you sort of fall into this this space like there, there's a lot of freedom there. Mm-hmm. You know and I think the more you just sort of take refuge in that the other stuff then just becomes play. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? and uh
1: yeah yeah i think what you're talking about there is uh the only freedom there is i think that's the the opening to on, to to actually experiencing some freedom and then which would then hopefully lead to ultimate freedom or the freedom i think uh i know my idea of i love that word freedom i think the yeah my idea of what freedom is right now is very different from what my idea of that freedom was when i was like 1930 mm-hmm. you know like oh as the years go by um yeah
0: yeah it's an important word i mean even in sort of uh you know yogic traditions moksha right mm-hmm. uh i know personally I, when i when i did a short retreat that was the word that just popped for me mm-hmm. oh there's freedom to be found here you know mm-hmm. it's interesting to see too you know just uh I don't know it seems like we're such a small group of people you know especially Western Buddhists Western tibetan Buddhists Very we small. Live, we live in a world that where everyone's just taking refuge in anything but that you know and yeah. uh yeah yeah I think it, it just takes a while to maybe you just have to go through a lot of suffering before you reach a point I think mean, a lot of people with spirituality that's what they do it's not sort of something that's gradually progressed like you know you were saying you get into different books I was I was certainly like that too the Arantia book all these <laughs> things the Course in Miracles I got them all because i love oh, to, yeah, love to read you know yeah and but you know if you're just someone who's trying to uh you know get through life and and maybe I don't know you got a family you got kids you know and then you come across these teachings maybe it's even in, in the middle of your life I think it's very hard right to sort of uh, to sort of. I don't know even even split the difference try to figure out okay how can i take refuge in this stuff and still you know but i don't know i think it just comes with time right over time the more you practice
1: yeah and i think that's uh really well said it it is hard to you know i guess you could change that momentum that's a mm-hmm. That's a lot of momentum. That's if if you, especially if you buy the idea of past and future lives and you know living countless lifetimes, and if we have indeed been taking uh, unhelpful refuge for many lifetimes, and then suddenly getting this spark of an idea, and then trying to take all that momentum (laughs) that's behind you, and then turn that truck, you know, it's it's I guess it's hard it's it's
0: Yeah. And I think your, your karmic momentum too might be so that you're always going to have certain issues or certain things are always going to be in your world. And you just kind of have to sort of deal with that. You know, I think of myself like noise, you know, it's, I think it's very hard. I thought of, you know, moving out into this little rural Island that I'm on that, um, oh, great. This will be perfect. You know, (laughs) it's going to be so quiet. No, Nothing could have been further from the truth, the construction noise and all that I was trying to leave from Vancouver completely fouled me here. So it was something that I had to sort of learn to deal with, you know, and work around. But after first having a lot of anger <laughs> around it, you know.
1: Yeah, it's like you can't escape the karma, like it just, just comes. You
0: know? Yeah, and in the world, yeah. I mean, the modern yeah. world, you know, we're just, yeah. it seems like we're really intent on just filling every space. We have with a house or a road or something you know
1: yeah and then putting a line there right <laughs> this is mine this yeah. is you know and, you know this is my piece like that uh, yeah. yeah it's, just, it's pretty take, crazy
0: and take refuge in that yeah huh. yeah it's just a lot of layers i suppose um when i think of um you know taking refuge there's there's so many different ways um it's, and it's not just worldly versus spiritual. Like you know, you can take refuge in your mind. You can take refuge as you're sort of you know getting deeper into the path, into the sense of being a human being. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. That's sort of something. No, you're not. You're not really a human being. That's it's uh, kind of a delusional thing. And and uh, I don't know. That can be almost schizophrenic. You can sort of feel like when when that voice. You know, inside you starts uh, coming to the forefront. Um, it can be a little, oh, what's what's going on here? So this this sense of being a human is delusional. <laughs> you know, you're basing your whole refuge in that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was talking to a person one time. We had a good chuckle. Uh, we say, I I'm I'm scared to meditate. I'm scared to meditate uh, because uh, I don't want to lose anything else. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, I, you, just, when I, you know, you know, yeah. It's like you said. Like what? Even, even my whole concept of what I thought I was for my whole life is now being uh, toyed with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: interesting. Yeah. So there's that impermanence popping up again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I just wonder who people you know, when they hear that, and it's, I know there's a lot of, outside of Tibetan Buddhism, there's Christianity is certainly having a resurgence um, throughout the world in the United States in particular. Um, a lot of people taking refuge in Jesus, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of the ideas in there. And I think it's a good thing um, to sort of take your focus off uh, money and, and worldly concerns. Yeah. But um,
1: Yeah, yeah I, I personally think, I mean, Anything that will take the mind off of the self, like the self-imprisoning self, the ego self—if mm-hmm. it's Jesus or whatever it may be—I think is a step in the right direction. You know, uh, for sure. I, I just, I, the refuge is a beautiful topic. I, you know, and you, like you're saying, as the years go by. You know, as your mind gets more still and more still and your understanding gets deeper and deeper, you see the all the different kinds of refuge that pop up in yes. your mind. You know, you exactly. see it and you're, okay, there I am. I'm going for refuge in that again. And then, mm-hmm. uh, which then been, can become a whole beautiful practice of just observing that. Yeah, I think
0: a lot of it is really going from the coarse to the subtle. Yeah. And I think that's true in, in anything like there's yeah. sort of a, when you, when, when you first think of refuge, you know, taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, and that's a very, um, you know, small little piece of, 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 understanding, but as, and I think this is true of a lot of, of, um, of the practice, a lot of the concepts and a lot of the practices themselves, um, they just, they sort of expand, you know, and, but there's still that core The core idea and refuge is one of those things uh, that does that as well. So it's not like okay, I got refuge. Let let me move on to the next thing. You know, bodhicitta. Okay, uh, I got I got refuge. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, you know, it's so brilliant too the way that uh, it works, where you can be presented with an idea, Mm -hmm. intellectually kind of get it at the beginning, and then it's like your journey starts. And then a year by year by year, your your idea of renunciation changes, your idea of refuge changes, mm-hmm. your idea of bodhicitta changes, your idea of wisdom changes. Uh, but at the beginning, it, it's like taking refuge in us, like a like a like a book or a solid idea, something that seems okay. This is a self-standing thing that works, and it'll work like this, mm-hmm. which is great, you know. And then you get this functional thing you're taking refuge in and then like you just said years go by and then all of a sudden this all leads you to this crazy moment of facing wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> and when it, it, like it really all comes down to very very few simple ideas that are just that you have to keep returning to and there it goes well there there goes your humanity and but if you, you have this notion that you could actually become a totally awakened being, a perfectly enlightened being, well, then it's a good thing we're not human. You know? So we are, you know, it's a good thing we're not, how would you call it, self-existently human. That's that's not all we are. Right, right. Uh, But man, it's, uh, it's hard to get that. It's hard to get that, you know? And I think that's why if you get a glimpse of the the truth of that, you can never, you can never go away from that. And you'll always teach that and always live that. And you'll, you watch people come and go and see how difficult it is to actually stay there and hold the line. Cause it is, yeah, yeah. it's hard because life is demanding. Every day is demanding. And how do you take this idea of refuge and actually implant it in your life when you've got, Miles to feed you know you've got this yeah. boom boom boom, boom. Well, i think I sim-
0: simplicity is the thing right yeah. you can simplify your life yeah and um i think you know in my case coming into the tibetan uh, teachings uh, later in life i had a very you know lo- long spiritual path leading up to that but um you know then once it hits it's like okay it's time to go you know let's get this started i'm I'm ready to go i just wonder from an outsider's perspective you know somebody's looking at this and if they're to look at tibetan buddhism and just to see it's very very complicated and there's a lot of moving parts to it you know and i think that and there's a lot of things that sort of may attract you maybe you like the mantra maybe you like the mandalas maybe you like the Tikinis or something like that and I would think that it, there's no it's like a almost like a, a merry-go-round you know it's going around just jump on <laughs> just grab it and you'll figure it out from there it doesn't matter how you came in you know
1: yeah yeah it's a good great point just get on the get on the thing and if you're lucky then if you're lucky you've got a teacher that knows that right and helps you okay, okay you know maybe mantra is going to work for this person or maybe a subtle body is going to work for this person but presenting them with all these methods and then like i had someone recently who uh it took them a while but i think what they found is oh i think mantra and subtle body is my thing right now
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they they've been uh, doing all kinds of different things and and making pro like you said making progress but then suddenly that progress opens up to oh yeah mantra and subtle body it mm-hmm. suddenly just fits for them. Like, oh yeah, this is going to, this is going to function for me for a while. And uh, there's so many ways to go. I, I remember when I first, my first idea of Buddhism was uh, some people in funny hats making uh, noises with bells and stuff right. and just the, it's so elaborate, but it's not. When, when you, when you break it right down to the, the fine, define essence of it it's very very simple and yet it explodes out into a whole world of elaboration
0: yeah and there's just so many things that need to be unpacked for example you know the refuge prayer um go to refuge to the buddha dharma and sangha until we achieve enlightenment the power of uh, giving and and the rest and the rest and the rest <laughs> and the, what do you mean <laughs> and the rest? Okay, well that's the six perfections, but you probably didn't know that, and and it may take a while, you know. Before those things hit, so I think any if you were just someone who maybe you're kind of interested in it, you 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 uh, you love the Dalai Lama as as many many people do, and you're like I'm gonna just check it out a little bit, you know. I don't think it's really you're gonna find that really powerful draw to take refuge in it, and until something either maybe you just grow weary of of like you saying you, you you're searching and nothing was really hitting until that kind of thing, or maybe something terrible happens, you know, or something terrible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, and I think it's tragic, tragic where, uh, I think if a person is very fortunate, ironically, when something terrible happens, something appears Mm -hmm. at that time that is right, perfectly opening and helpful at that time. Right. Uh, uh, If it doesn't, you, you know, we can go through this period of, sometimes I call it like sugarcane bodhicitta, where you're like mm. the sense of the big picture and you're, wow, you know, I, I'm wasting my life. I want to I do something different. And then it, it just, because of the power of life, it just will we go back to normal. Like I, um, I remember a, this is a story about some people that we knew that went through, we, they went through a, a real tragic a farm accident and that put everything into into perspective real quick the Mm -hmm. the fellow almost died very very close and i think he actually did die on the operating table and came back and Mm -hmm. the the wife at that time her whole thing was i just want a simple life now i all i want to do is i want to be able to sit on the porch with my husband Mm -hmm. and have a cup of tea that will be enough for me yeah and but when he finally came around and uh, started getting better, sure enough, life—you know—they yeah. they infiltrated, and and now they're living a very very busy lifestyle. Hmm. And so I think it's like in those moments, if if we're if we're lucky, if someone will arrive in those moments and capture our attention and and use that opening,
0: you know? Yeah. Uh, there's a part of me that wishes that I had sort of either been more serious or that I had had stronger things come to me mm-hmm. um, when I was much younger. But, yeah. but but back then there really wasn't a lot. Tibetan Buddhism really didn't come into the West as strongly as it did now until like the, you know, mm-hmm. the 1980s, late 1980s or so, you know. And so by, because I, and I was certainly drawn to it at that time, even though I had no idea what it was was really going on. Um, yeah. And I just, by the time that I sort of, you know, met you in, in three jewels and all that, it's like, I had a lot of life behind me and I had a lot of fun. So I'm not yeah. someone, not someone at that age that's going, oh man, I sure wish I wouldn't have, sure I didn't, I spent all my time going to school and worrying about my job and getting married. <laughs> I need time for me now, you know, to go out and have fun. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I, have, ready. I have the memories. Yeah. I don't need yeah. any more, you know? Yeah of that stuff i don't need to take refuge in it i guess is a good way to when mm-hmm. when fun things happen i don't certainly don't uh you know go out of my way but i'm not s- someone who's like oh i need to have all these new experiences all the time you know or to sort of chase life mm-hmm. and have you know get as much pleasure out of it you can get pleasure in just that cup of tea
1: yeah yeah well and it's so interesting what you're saying about you know what what was it like they karmic momentum karmic Mm -hmm. momentum right like so you live this great fun life and you have these great memories and then something happens some karma pushes its way through and then you find yourself in a buddhist class or something like that Mm -hmm. and then for whatever reason whatever karmic reason or whatever you're attracted to it and not only are you attracted to it you actually practice it and and not only that you actually get a result yeah you know that's pretty exciting if you think about that. karmically you know you see lots of people come into classes and they can have the karma to arrive but not the karma to stay or -hmm. not the karma to practice or not the karma to um really get benefit quick enough uh, interesting to to stay and i think like for myself one of the huge things i think that really was so important for me was when i met lama marut Mm -hmm. because I had never seen anybody like that before, uh, especially a, a man. Uh, my, my information about men up until that point were, were like rough and tough. Uh, you know, I, I had all kinds of like yelling foreman and uh, me and my dad's relationship was pretty rocky until uh, later in life. And mm-hmm. so he was the first man I'd saw who just looked like he was whole. And mm-hmm. I, I, not that I knew what, it, what that was, but what I saw was a man, a, a being that was happy. I think was, I think he was the first happy person I ever saw in my life That yeah. that it didn't look to me like his happiness was dependent on something. Yeah, yeah. It freaked me right out. I was like, I got a feeling that if someone stole this guy's car, he'd still be content. Like I just... <laughs> Yeah. And I just watched him teach and I watched him teach and I, I fell in love with him, like my love. And and I had the feeling that the love was returned, even though he didn't know who I was mm-hmm. just the way that he attended to everyone and the way that he looked at me when we talked. Um, it was, it was that. And I, I remember I, I, I had a meeting with him. I, I, well, not a meeting. I was in a lineup, and then, yeah. I, you know, I finally got in front of him, and he just he just zoomed right into me with those eyes, yeah. like I was all that it was. And I said to him, um, "How can I be like you?" And oh, wow. he just he just went. He chuckled study, study, <laughs> study, study, <laughs> study, and I I just said, oh, "Okay," and he and he basically shuffled me. Says people were teaching ACI. And uh, he said, you know, take this guy, take this guy, take care of this guy, you know? And then I took my vows with him and stuff like that. And then I started attending Three Jewels uh, and getting these teachings. And, uh, but I, I, it was him, it was him that kept me going. Because Mm. if it hadn't been for him and how he appeared to be in his body, I don't think I could have done all the homework and studies. Yeah. I, I don't th- I I just totally trusted that it was going to work mm-hmm. because it looked like it worked on him.
0: Yeah, that was that's a big thing I think because when I was sort of um, when I first came to Vancouver and there were all these uh, Tibetan Buddhist uh, places, you know, so I was sort of sampling them all. But I noticed that here's these guys. Some of them were very young men. Uh, They had no money, they had no wives, they had, you know, they weren't chasing after sensual pleasures, they were doing these big elaborate, you know, things where it was just that was their whole dedicated life. And they were the happiest people that I'd ever met in my life. And I'm like, okay, they have something that I want. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get there. But that was enough for me. That was just like, to sort of take refuge in what the teachings were. And to realize, you know, I think they're very deep and very complicated things you're you're, it's not you might get that first result right away early but you can generally speaking uh i think you know kind of prepare yourself for the long haul you know Uh, i've likened it to like uh, like a concert pianist you know yeah that's that's sort of the level of uh, that you're striving for so there's going to be a lot of chopsticks in the meantime and you know but yeah yeah that that first result it's great if you can get something that first time you know, or early on in the practice to kind of move you along. But a lot of it really depends on, on, I think the teachers in in particular, you
1: know? Yeah. And if that's not there, then what, you know, I, 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 um, after studying Buddhism for many years and, um, uh, meditation and, you know, I had, I had done a lot of meditating before Buddhism, which helped me, mm-hmm. uh, helped me a lot. Um, but then at some point I started realizing that the people that are filling the world and are, that are, are leaders or are so-called leaders, um, they don't appear like happy people. They don't appear like they're content. They don't appear to know what actual well-being really is. Right. And we're all listening to them. Mm-hmm. And I, it, just, it, striked, it started striking me as ironic and, humorous even it's like okay why are a bunch of unhappy people going to other unhappy people and, and asking how to live and how why is it that unhappy mm-hmm. people are trying to tell other unhappy people how they should live you wonder how much
0: how much money and how much success and how many things do you have to own before you finally go okay there's no happiness in here i don't think there's any end to it you know because no. you just think of these these yeah. billionaires yeah you know they they keep accumulating and accumulating and and they're not happy you know
1: they don't appear to be and you know they don't appear to be yeah yeah and, and i like i don't know if you ever saw that uh it's a really beautiful thing george harrison said in his uh yeah, a documentary and he said, yeah, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. there's one thing that, that's, you know, if you just suddenly have so much money, you can do anything you ever want. And then, and then you realize you're still not happy. Yeah. Then you get, that's the, he, he was very thankful for that, that opportunity to, yeah. to know, to, to actually get so much that he could do anything that he wanted and realize, oh, wow, that didn't make me happy. And in Buddhism,
0: Buddhism doesn't uh, have sort of a, a airy-fairy approach to it. No. They say you need to, you know, have a solid foundation that you're working from. If you're going to sort of take the householder's, you know, path, you you just can't be like, oh, I'm just going to go to class all the time and not worry. I hope things will work out. Well, it might not. <laughs> mm. You know, you have to figure out that, that balance between living in this world, which is, very expensive, you know, anywhere you go, it's expensive to live. You're going to have to do something, you know, unless you come by money or something like that. But yeah. Refuge, refuge, refuge. this was a good talk. I think we can, uh, maybe we can even do a part two on this or something, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have, um, any particular, um, mantras or any type of, um, any particular prayers that you like to use to sort of close out, uh, your, your teachings?
1: Oh, uh, well, usually I'd like to do, uh, some kind of dedication. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. Okay. Okay. Visualize a golden ball of energy at your heart. And just decide that that is your seat of your compassion, your love for other beings. This desire that nobody suffers. And that with this wish that by our efforts here, by our motivation, by our wish to see a brighter world full of awakened beings, you know, we give away the goodness and dedicate our time together to all sentient beings. So then you visualize galaxies full of sentient beings, as far as your mind can imagine, you know, really go supernova. And that this light explode out of your heart and imagine that it's striking the hearts of all these sentient beings and that our motivation, our dedication, our our very path is benefiting not only ourselves, but all these sentient beings. And then imagine, just imagine that clarity dawns. Ah. True refuge, refuge that will actually bring true well-being, true enlightenment, arises in the minds of all these sentient beings and rejoice in this end of pain and confusion. See it happen and be happy. And then let that light withdraw back into your Body back into your heart and just sit for a second in non-elaboration, feeling the beauty beauty of compassion. And that's how I like the end of class. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Or, Or any day or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Lama John. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Okay, really fun. Okay,
0: until next time.
1: Okay.